All right, today we're continuing our online series on the Synoptic Gospels. Today I'm joined by John. We're going to have some fun, have a bit of monkey business before we get into looking at three archetypes we see for Christ in the Old Testament, that of the priest, the prophet, and the king. Now, Phil, before we get into it, I've got to ask what is a pretty damning question your thoughts on monkeys, because I, I love monkeys. I love monkeys. I did tag Phil in a bit of a Facebook uh, article this week, and I think they're a beautiful animal. Well, in contrast to your idea about it being a beautiful animal, why don't you explain the article you referenced? What actually happened? <clears throat> it was a little bit of a dropping character for our monkey friends, but um, I don't actually kind of put them all in the same category because of this, but there was a bite a monkey did bite a human and there was some kind of altercation that went on and I knew that would be your worst nightmare so I thought it'd be a great tag um, and you weren't too happy with it. Well this is exactly what I expect. I don't know what they are but the, the kind of the stock standard Balinese monkey I feel like it's either going to bite you or try to rob you or give you some kind of disease. Well I, I, I think I disagree though in some way. I think that they're funny because they, they, they play up, they muck around, they do steal your sunnies I've got to say that kind of thing but that's kind of a fun part. They have a bit of a muck around. Um, they are quite cute if you look at them closely. <laughs> Maybe you got to stare at them for a little bit but they're quite cute. <laughs> look I, I think the real struggle is the the size of the hand. Do you call it a monkey paw? Is that what a monkey has? Is it a paw? But it's a hand just grabbing at you. Yeah. Like one of my literal worst nightmares is the idea of a monkey getting its little hand inside your ear. I feel like that's what they'd go for. They just go for all the like, the, all the <laughs> weak points. So just when you see those pictures of monkeys all over people, the little hands going everywhere, like gee whiz. Well, there you go. Diving into a little bit of Phil's fears. Now we're going to be looking at the picture of, of Jesus today. Now one of the things I want to ask you, Phil, when it comes to faith, obviously with the monkeys, we see the same thing. We have very different opinions and pictures of the monkeys. Mm. When it comes to faith, how do you think that can play out in the church? That we can sometimes see the same thing, but can have very differing, I guess, beliefs or opinions kind of on that image. Mm, yeah, I think, I think one of the really important things to remember that whenever we look at anything, whenever we read anything, we bring our own lens into that, into that conversation. So if we're having a conversation around Jesus, we carry with us a particular context and a particular lens, which, which really does shape what we see. I, uh, I read a little while ago this really interesting study by a guy named Scott McKnight, who you wouldn't know this yet, um, but he features quite regularly on this uh, podcast here at True North. Uh, but anyway, so he, he did this study with a whole bunch of his students um, at their seminary where he set up a personality survey where he'd uh, take all the students through this particular survey that would, you know, have you ever done a personality study? It's like, you know, I'm, I'm you know. Funny, yeah, good looking, funny, good looking um, high yeah. cheekbones. Yeah, yeah. So when you do that personality survey, it says how good looking are you? Are you like nine out of 10 or 10 out of 10? Uh, well, I don't normally rate myself, let's well, be honest. Yeah. Well, and in fairness, look, personality, not so much physical attraction, but <laughs> if it was there, you know, we could we could see how that plays out. But but anyway, so he does this whole, whole personality survey on these different students and they get their results and they all come back with their different breakdowns of what they're like and, and uh, what their personalities are like. <clears throat> and then this is where it gets a little bit interesting. He then took that same survey and, and he put it onto who Jesus is. So asking the students mm. to answer questions about who Jesus is and what they believed his personality was like. And one of the really interesting findings through this survey was that 
uh, I forget the exact percentage, but it was between 90 and 94% of students believed that the personality of Jesus was exactly the same as their own. So if they, you know, if you imagine Jesus in a particular story, uh, maybe, you know, Jesus calling the first disciples as they're cleaning their nets at the fish. If you're kind of a pretty fun, uh, extroverted out there guy, you imagine him kind of like, hey boys, come join and come follow me. And if you're like kind of a bit more introverted or quiet, you might imagine him in that exact same moment mm. saying, excuse me, why, why don't you come and follow me? I'm going somewhere really significant. And it's this, this really great way of illustrating that each one of us really does bring a lot of ourselves into how we come to see, uh, how we come to see Jesus. Yeah, well, it's an interesting thing. I guess I, I wonder, there's lots of people within a church or even in faith community, and this is a bit of a left-wing question here, but do you think it's okay for us to have different pictures of Jesus in that? I'd say absolutely. I'd say it's impossible impossible for us not to have different pictures of who Jesus is because we bring ourselves uh, to who Christ is. So look, I think for me, there'd probably be some distinctives around who Christ is in terms of what he does on my behalf um, that, that I'd say are kind of um, foundational for Christian faith. But then in terms of, uh, you know, I like to use the phrase divine imagination about what Christ would be like. I think that's actually a really helpful healthy and positive thing to, to think and reflect. And I've even heard some people say when I've shared that story about that particular survey, almost like, isn't that great that every person, no matter their uniqueness, no matter their personality, can actually find a way to engage with Jesus, which I think is a really positive yeah. thing as well. And I think with those different images that you can have on Jesus, obviously it's important for us to calibrate them with the Bible and with the gospel as well, because obviously you don't want to make you want to make sure that it's a, a picture of Jesus that is appropriate within the Bible. Bible. So I guess um, the next thing I want to kind of task you with is, is, is what are some of the pictures in the Bible that possibly do help shape that picture of Jesus for us? Yeah, something, something really interesting that you see the, the gospel authors do in particular, and I guess through the, for the purposes of this online series, looking at the synoptic gospels, if you're uh, just tuning in with us, it's the three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and that word synoptic uh, just means to be seen together. And the, the synoptic gospels take three archetypes that we see in the Old Testament of the, the office of the prophet, the priest, and the king. And they use those pictures to begin to, to describe and help us to see who Jesus is and what his ministry is about and, and really in a lot of ways what he actually does on our behalf. Mm. So if we begin begin with this idea of the, the priests that, that throughout the Old Testament and we think about the, the Jewish faith and the, the role of the priests is set up through Moses and what that meant for them in the context of their whole belief system, their religion, and, uh, and, and we could spend hours talking about all of that. Well, perhaps we couldn't because we don't have all the content, but there is a lot of content there that we could go through. Um, but but one of the, the real keys there is the, the sacrificial systems of Jewish faith that the priests administered on behalf of the people. So really the, the role of the priest was to be that place of connection between people in their sin, you know, a great way of describing that is falling short of God's picture for how we relate to him. And then the office of the priest was there so that the people could come and bring their sacrifice to then restore themselves back into good relationship with God. And so so in that sense, it's almost like the, the priest was the, the connection point between the grace and forgiveness of God and the sacrifice of the person that had recognized that there was sin in their life uh, to almost be, a, it might be too 
too strong a word, but a mediator of God's grace to the brokenness of people. Um, And I think that's a a really interesting picture when we come to think, obviously, who Jesus is and how he brings fulfillment to that picture of the priesthood uh, in the Old Testament. In Hebrews 5.5, I believe it is there, he talks about uh, Jesus being a a new priest in a new order and not one defined by the the sacrificial systems that had been. But now now in Jesus, there is this once and for all price that's been paid on our behalf. And so it's it's a great helpful and framing picture, I think, for me to just to recognize what Jesus has done, what he has brought fulfillment to through this, you know, generations long system of sacrifice as a way of atoning for brokenness and now obviously that sacrifice once and for all uh, in Jesus. Yeah and so I guess with with the word priest and you know we kind of use the word pastor and there's probably loads of different words that you could throw out there. I wonder as you think about church history even or even Christian history probably 2,000 years um, how you know the role of the priest really can actually shape you know, maybe even the picture of how we see Jesus and how we actually relate to faith as well. I think about the Reformation and kind of, you know, some of the things that went on there. Can you expand a little bit on maybe some of those things? Or Yeah, well, I think that when, when we use the word priest... There's always a couple of different contexts that that can be used in. So the you have the the office of the priest in the Old Testament that was through the Levitical line, beginning with Aaron, um, and and so you have that the the biblical picture of priesthood, and then we also have the the church tradition picture of priesthood, which is probably most most recognised and known within the the Catholic Church. And then for for guys like us who uh, describe ourselves and people come to see us as pastors, and and that can carry some of that same kind of, um, I, I guess, descriptive energy when we think about that kind of space. So, so I think that there's different contexts there, but, but I do love the idea, and, and even in, in Peter it talks about the priesthood of all believers, that for, for anyone that puts their faith in Christ, they now have a similar role that Jesus, Jesus has done first on our behalf to bring the grace and love of God to people, so to, to be mediators of the grace of God. So I think that's, that's the wonderful, uh, I guess, finishing point of, of this uh, evolution of priesthood throughout Scripture and then Jesus becoming that great high priest that can bring restoration once and for all. And then for us that then place our faith in Christ, are invited to, to take on the calling of the gospel that we have in, uh, in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, to say now we are the ones that are going to go and and share this good news that that grace is for all um yeah so and and i think you know you can you touch on other things you mentioned the reformation there that that probably right before that the you know in terms of administering grace had gotten to its most broken um and you you know you you hear well you don't hear stories you you read about where the church had actually gotten to in that point i think you've done some study recently on what was it called again when the Indulgences. The indulgences. Yeah, tell yeah. me about that real quick. Yeah, well, basically the, the priests have kind of got to a place of a bit of corruption and, you know, probably taking a bit too much power and control. And so essentially people had to pay for their own forgiveness and had to actually come and confess and pay. And, and it was a bit of a way that they were actually holding people under control. And so, you know, that was obviously the, the priest system being a little bit broken and, and 
would have shaped people's theology, unfortunately, in that sort of time and thing. But obviously, what was what called for the Reformation, and obviously mm. Martin Luther King and a few of the other guys who led that did really well in, in actually bringing back to its church of, I guess, a bit of simplicity and originality on the, under the Word and under the gods, which is a really cool thing. So, um, yeah. And it was almost like, if, if I remember some of my readings around that, it's almost like those kind of practices were like the final straw mm. for the Reformation to yeah. take place. That's right. um, and, and look, it's funny, I wasn't expecting to hear anything grosser than the Balinese monkeys as we're having this conversation, <laughs> but true. you see that picture of broken <laughs> grace there. And you're like, yeah. So anyway, obviously the complete opposite of what mm. we see Christ doing in fulfillment within that role yeah. uh, of the priest. Yep. And so the next one we want to chat about is is the role of just of the prophet as well and how we can we see that play out, probably particularly in the Old Testament. Mm. Um, yeah, and I, I guess for me, I want to share a little bit on my favorite prophet, if that's okay, and a prophet story is because um, I see this as really one where we can shape the picture of the way we see Jesus and his provision as well. And um, the role of the prophet um, quite often is that picture of Jesus in the Old Testament. And so one of my favorite ones to go to is the picture of Elisha in Second Kings, I think it's chapter 4 which is a great one, which kind of starts off a little bit sad. The, the, a widow comes to him, um, is a little bit of a broken place. Her husband's just died and she has two sons and essentially a, a tax collector or some sort has come to her and said, hey, if you don't pay your debts, you know, you're, I'm going to take your sons as slaves, which is a bit of a sad situation. So she's coming this desperate need, this this moment where she's really she's really needing she's needing some help. And um, kind of Elisha asked, you know, what do you have? You know, what can you do? What can you do to you know trying to figure out this situation? Um, and she responds basically with, I have nothing. I have nothing other than this jar of oil. And so he says, basically, that's that's going to be enough. Go to your go to your neighbours, go to all the people around your house and your neighbourhood, and ask for empty jars. So she goes around, collects all these jars. I love you. Also says, don't ask for for just a few. He says, ask for as many as you can, which is a really cool thing. And so she goes around, collects all these jars. I don't know how many she would have had by that point, but maybe maybe hundreds. And then he says, once you've got all the jars, actually start pouring from that one jar that you have into all these other jars. And as she began to pour, of course, we most of us know that story that the that the the oil began to pour and pour and pour into all the jars were filled. And it was an awesome, it's a really an awesome story of provision in the way that I guess God worked and and um, how Jesus can be a provider in in all of our situations. Yeah, that that is such a cool story, and there's mm. there's so many, particularly from Elisha, that's just like these these kind of miracles mm. that that yeah, they work. Yeah. And one of the one of the things that I love when you when you think about aligning Jesus and the office of the prophet in the Old Testament is there there two both where you just see this miraculous demonstration of God's provision and mm. power. Now, yeah, I hear a story like that from Elisha and the the jars of oil that never runs out, mm. and I and I think of you know stories like Jesus feeding the five thousand with baskets of bread that yeah. never empty. And, uh, and, and there's an important link there, and, and it's certainly a, an image that the synoptic gospel authors are drawing on, is this idea that the prophet brings a miraculous demonstration of God's power. Mm. And, and you use that word provision, which I think is so important in the, in the wider context of the central message of the Bible and the gospel is the provision of God's grace through Jesus. So one of the, the things absolutely that was, was part of the role of the prophet, prophet is to, to miraculously make known 
the the provision of God's power. Uh, but it was more than that as well, that, that a lot of the time the prophets would accompany other leadership within Israel, like a king, someone like David or someone like that. And, and at times the, the nation of Israel would would veer off track. And the the voice of the prophet would be to to communicate almost like the, the mouth of God to the people of God. So that the, the prophet would receive direction from God's uh, from God's Holy Spirit. And then the, the office of the prophet, the role of the prophet would then be to realign the people with the direction that God had for them. And, and again, when you think about Jesus and his teaching on the, the kingdom of God and all the parables that he told and the, the kingdom of heaven is like this and not like this and, and almost repairing some of that brokenness. It's almost in a lot, you know, we, we touched base loosely on the Reformation that, that in a lot of ways, this is what Jesus is doing in his public ministry. He is renewing their systems of faith uh, and calling them back to the heart, the heart of God. And obviously instituting a whole new covenant through through the giving of himself. Um, so so the, the, the prophet is to be this bridge between God's will and people to communicate and to bring people back to the truth of who God is. And when you think about the, the gospel message and the ministry of Jesus, it just captures like that that's it like that's what jesus is trying to do is to try to restore people's hearts back to the father and say this is the way we do it it's by grace through faith uh, the catch cry of the reformation and, and still today uh and so yes yeah, so i think the 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 role of the prophet is a, is an important one as well to think okay why are, why are these authors drawing these links between the the prophets of the old testament and who jesus is and it's this exact thing because he is bringing the word of god with a demonstration of power to lead people back to the heart of the father and, and, and to me that's that's the gospel yeah it's awesome um now the third and final one is is jesus as king now obviously in the bible we see so many awesome kings we see some different types of kings as well and even jesus being portrayed as as probably that different type of king maybe not the king that everyone expected um maybe talk a little bit about jesus as king I think uh, I think a really interesting thought around the the kingship of Christ, and you kind of mentioned this, is what the what the people were expecting in a king. So so Israel at the time in the public ministry of Jesus, they had a they had an archetype in mind that if God was going to do something powerful through an earthly king, they actually had a picture in their history that they could look back to and say, this is what. The provision of God looks like through a kingship, and, and perhaps the best example of that is King David, that brought that first golden age in the history of Israel for 400 years, uh, a reign that was not broken, and just this incredible time of abundance and and blessing under David's leadership. And and through that time, David was victorious through any battles or conflict. They weren't governed by anyone else. They weren't subjugated by anyone else. And of course, also in Israel's history, a lot of the time they they're in slavery, they're exiled, they're all kinds of things. So, so you imagine a Jewish person in the time of Jesus, when they think about kingship, they think about freedom, they think about national Israel, they think about the, the power and the provision of God through this, this almost like a heroic, a heroic earthly king guiding them in the direction of the will of God. And then, then obviously in Jesus, and, and I always love the picture of the triumphant entry because this is what the Jewish people were, were believing could happen in the next few years, that, that Jesus, this is that heroic picture, a picture like Moses leading them out of Egypt, a picture like David leading them through, through, through conquests, through battles and all kinds of things, securing their freedom. So, so of course, as they start getting excited about the idea of king, they're thinking, all right, Rome, you're out of here. We're going to govern ourselves. We're going to be our own free people. 
But of course, God has an entirely different plan and it's not a plan for a decade in the life of a nation. It's a plan for all people in all time to be that messianic king that wasn't to bring peace, stability, freedom and provision for a generation or several generations, but that every person that places their faith in the king could know that peace provision and freedom in their own life. And so I guess for, for us as modern day readers of God's word, we get the, the, the I guess the wonderful gift of, is foresight the right word? But we can see, we can see the, whole, the whole story playing out. Um, and so I think that that kingship, I think it provides in terms of how we see Jesus, just that sense of security in him, that, that he's got it covered. And, and that was the, the whole thing with a national king. If you had a good king who was powerful, that meant safety, that meant freedom, that meant provision, that meant that I didn't have to be fearful about the next day or what might happen. It was just this place of absolute security, which was the opposite of what perhaps Israel was experiencing during the time of Roman occupation and other broken times in their history. And I think that's that wonderful reminder for us that that what has to be primary in the way that we see Jesus is this sense of peace, that, that I am, I'm covered in God, that, that his provision is alive in me, that no matter what I face, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, he's got my back. He is my, he is my provision. Um, yeah, so, so I think they're, they're three helpful pictures that, that definitely the, the gospel authors lean on in the different ways that they describe things. And, and I think when you're getting your head around who Jesus is, um, I think they're three really helpful pictures. How, did, how does Jesus bring fulfillment to the role of the, the priest, the prophet, and the king?